The one and only COVID restriction that Republicans support. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com and ace reporter at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com. Jeremy Wallace is here as well. Hello, sir. Oh, how are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm okay. I was traveling the state a bit. I got a little bit of the uh, Jeremy Wallace schedule going on where I was, you know, traveling around down to Houston, down to Lake Jackson, back to Austin, all within 24 hours. Oof. I'm not sure how you do it, but but people will sometimes say, hey, Scott, must be nice. I see you on Twitter. You post the pictures of smoking a cigar, or having a drink or whatever. When I travel, I've got to build in downtime. I, yeah. I can't do this like like you do, where it's you know one city after another, after another, after another. I've got to take little breaks, you know, if I'm going to have any uh, durability at this. Um, so there were a lot of things going on this week that, and I say this all the time, a lot of things that I could prioritize just about any way on this show. I, I could I could start with any of these stories, right? almost any of them, um, because they're all interesting, and we'll be believe me, we'll be engaged in all of them. There'll be there'll be some really interesting conversation about each and every one of these issues that we get into. But I'm going to start with the border again, and I have come to realize a couple things, Jeremy. One, there's only one COVID restriction that Republicans are a fan of. And that's Title 42, right? Title 42 is at a base level, a COVID restriction, right? This yes. was put in place during COVID under the Trump administration to make it easier to reject migrants because of concerns about COVID-19. Well, everywhere I look, and you name the Republican, it, whether it's Chip Roy, former President Trump, Dan Patrick, Greg Abbott, whatever, they're all saying that COVID's over. Don't worry about that. You shouldn't even look at the case counts anymore. Now, I have talked to people who are in public health who would say that, yes, we're obviously in a very different place. And, you know, there's a debate about when masks are appropriate. You know, there's a lawsuit going on still about whether you should have the mask on the plane and all that sort of stuff. But there are, you know, tons of people who are vaccinated now, vaccinated and boosted. Um, we know, for example, that Beto O'Rourke this week said he has COVID-19 and he has mild symptoms he'll be all right. I did have this discussion with somebody who works for a, ho a hospital system this week. I said, is it really to the benefit of anybody at this point that politicians, candidates for office announce and declare that they tested positive for COVID-19? Because, you know, people will think, oh, wow, this prominent person got COVID-19, but they said they were vaccinated and boosted. So what's the difference? Well, we know, and if you can't have learned this at this point, I probably can't help you if you're just opposed to new information entering your brain, um, if you're vaccinated, then that greatly reduces the chance of it being a very serious case, right? We know that the, the new strain and strains are less severe and that the vaccine keeps you out of the hospital, right? So that's yep. why you would want to maybe know that someone like Beto O'Rourke got COVID-19, but that his symptoms are mild and he's going to be fine. So there's an ongoing debate about that. But within the hospital systems. They've debated this, you know, about whether, you know, how much information is appropriate to be putting out there and how much do you publicize different things, Jeremy? Yeah, exactly. Well, in this case, yeah, I have the numbers to back up to what you're saying. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we haven't been over 800 hospitalizations statewide on COVID-19 uh, for weeks now. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, and to put that in perspective, the last time we were under 800 
you know, COVID hospitalizations per day. It's like you have to go back to you know, back in 2020. Remember when, you know, Bernie Sanders was in San Antonio celebrating his victory in Nevada mm-hmm. during the presidential primary and was going to become the presidential nominee for yeah, sure. Seems like a long time thought. ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how long ago it's been. But like we haven't been in this good of a situation for the hospital systems, at least in terms of COVID than we are right now. This is, you know, it's, it's a good sign. Again, like you said, people are boosted. People have this in them. And so if they are getting COVID, it's not putting them in the hospital. And mm-hmm. so the, the system is a lot less stressed than it was just a couple months ago. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's funny to think that, you know, a month or two ago, we were well over a thousand, you know, people in hospitals and we are nowhere close to that right now. And let's hope that continues. So Governor Abbott uh, continues to fight with the Biden administration. He and our Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, they're fighting over Title 42. And at the same time, uh, you have Abbott putting troops on the border uh, between Texas and Mexico. At one point in the last couple of weeks, shutting down cross-border trade at the international bridges. Uh, And what did Abbott say in all of his comments about this? He said that people on the border, people in Texas and people elsewhere in the country have been, quote, shouting at the Biden administration to not discontinue Title 42, which, again, is a COVID restriction. Now, if they want to be tough on the border and they want to militarize the border, then the border is going to be different and there are going to be consequences for that that uh, are going to be um, just really, at, the, at this point, tragic. You look, at, you look at what happened. Right after we wrapped up the show last week, there were reports that a young man from North Texas, is he from? Uh, was he from Arlington? Arlington. Uh, uh, this young man, uh, Bishop Evans, was killed when he drowned in the Rio Grande trying to save some people. Senator Roland Gutierrez, who's a Democrat from San Antonio, said the Texas Senate needs to investigate exactly what happened here. We have seen the problems over the last several months with Operation Lone Star. They culminated last week with the drowning of Bishop Evans. Bishop Evans' family deserves to know the facts of what and how he passed on. His community deserves it. Our Texas community deserves to have answers into his death, the deaths of the other four guardsmen. And so please join me in asking the Lieutenant Governor to call this special committee hearing and ask the Governor and the Speaker of the House to do the same so that we may get answers into why Bishop died and how his death could have been avoided. There was a hearing in the Texas House of Representatives focused on this that I know that you were paying attention to, Jeremy. A lot of issues uh, surrounding what happens with uh, our uh, deployed men and women on the border. All this was discussed there. Representative uh, Eddie Morales, uh, who is from part of the border from uh, from Maverick County, um, he said to the Texas military department leadership um, that he was sort of disappointed in the way they were handling this uh, and the details of this drowning of this young man. And he had these questions for them about what kind of equipment they are giving the troops. I understood that the special agent Bishop Evans, um, when he perished, was not wearing a flotation device. Is that an accurate statement? That's correct. Is it is it part of the process to issue a a life vest or a flotation device to every National Guard soldier that is currently manning the border? It is not, no. And why is that? Um, so, so typically um, somebody working a land site um, w- would not be expected to go into the water. We don't have a formal protocol that um, 
to to best of my knowledge that that weighs when somebody should jump in or not. Um, if if you're not trained to be a boat crewman or whatever, you're not supposed to be getting into the water. So they don't know and haven't trained them on exactly when they should get into the water. When again they are stationed along a river. So far, Jeremy, about $4 billion has been appropriated in this year, in the past year, by Texas government, and a lot of it not even by the legislature during the legislative session. A lot of this done administratively by the Abbott administration. And just this afternoon, another breaking headline that the Texas border effort is getting another half billion, $495 million, another boost in this funding after leaders tapped into COVID funding to support these ongoing efforts on the border. Now, they have spent all this money, I think in the last year to two years to four years to six years, you're looking at six or $7 billion or something like that spent by Texas on border security. And they don't even have floaties for the troops who are stationed there on the river, Jeremy. And you were also looking into the fact, and this came up in the hearing, um, that it doesn't seem like the uh, troops are getting a good deal on their uh, health and death benefits either, are they? Yeah, one of the things I learned in this, and I'll have a story this weekend on this thing, uh, it's like the, the, you know, the soldiers who are called up to duty, they get different benefits depending on who called them up. So right. if these National Guardsmen are brought up by you know Joe Biden and on our federal mission, uh, they get much better better health benefits and death benefits uh, if anything happens to them uh, versus if they're called up on state duty. You know, and, and here, here's, you know, this was spelled out by the Texas military department during that hearing this week where it's like, if one, you know, these, these young men who have died and it's like, I was looking at uh, both Bishop Evans and then, you know, back in February, we had Dewan Lester Towns of spring. Uh, he died, you know, mm -hmm. as part of, you know, the mission as well. Uh, you know, just a 19 year old kid, you know, uh, but it, it, these folks, when they die, because they were called up by Governor Greg Abbott, uh, they don't get the federal benefit. The federal benefit would be a hundred thousand dollar check sent to their families to deal with mm -hmm. the funeral costs and other expenses related to their death. So a hundred thousand dollars directly to the family. No questions asked. Immediately you send that off. But because these folks died on state duty. Mm -hmm. They are only eligible for the workers' compensation death benefit, which is six no seventy five percent of their civilian pay. So if these guys were making say fifty thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. they're going to get up to thirty seven thousand dollars spread over a series of weeks, yeah. and their family will have to pay for the funeral up front and then seek reimbursements up to $10,000 for the funeral. Mm -hmm. So like what looks better to you? Just getting a $100,000 check and being taken care of or going through these hoops through the workers' compensation program to kind of get the benefits. Uh, and it's all, again, it's just, it's crazy to think, you know, in the case of you know, Bishop Evans, he had previously been on a federal mission. And mm -hmm. so if he had been, you know, killed in the line of duty after Joe Biden called him up, like his family would be taken care of completely. But in this case, since he was on state duty, 
It's a whole set of different rules. Right. And so now the, the pressure is start, starting to kind of mount on the legislators to do something about this. There's been bills over the years to kind of look into this. I talked mm-hmm. to Representative James White, who's, of course, leaving the Texas legislature. Uh, you know, he's a Republican from southeast Texas. Mm-hmm. And like this, he says this issue has been a problem for a long time. He doesn't necessarily fault Operation Lone Star for it. But is saying like what he's seeing now is like it's really kind of showing because there are more incidents happening. It's mm-hmm. really putting a, a spotlight on this disparity that these young men and women, if they get called up by the state, are left with very little like protections. The health benefits even worse if you can imagine that. It's like yeah. the health care benefit. If you get hurt on federal duty, you get Tricare, which is like. VA benefits, you're taking care of, they're going to get you your care, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But if you get hurt on the state program, you're considered a state employee, and you have to go through workers' compensation. So you have to file all these papers to get your benefits, and one out of every four soldiers has those papers out of order some way, somehow, not surprising, and it gets thrown out. And so these guys aren't even getting their benefits when they're getting hurt on duty, and so they're left with bills and unpaid or, or not even getting paid from their regular job because of something that happened to them on duty. So, like, this disparity has gotten so little attention, right? <laughs> but, you know, thankfully, like, the Texas Military Department really kind of brought this out with the legislators, and it sounded like they were getting a lot more on board with, like, mm-hmm. Wait, maybe we should be doing something. Like, maybe we should, you know, I, I, nobody in the hearing said we should kind of go where the federal government is, but you're left with the question of, like, why is it okay for a soldier to get families to get a hundred thousand dollars they're hurt on one duty but not on another duty in the yeah. same state wearing the same uniform yeah doing basically the same functions i mean it can be the same have, job like right. literally biden has soldiers on the mm-hmm. border in other parts of the, the border but not not these guys right and so you're like okay so if a soldier a, a national guardsman in new mexico is hurt right now on the federal duty he's covered Texas guy on the border, he gets hurt. He's not covered because he was brought up by the governor. It's like, what a weird glitch in the system that is like adding stress to these family members who have just lost somebody in their their families, right? It drives me crazy to think that after all they're going through, they're now like not getting this benefit that maybe some of them thought was there, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're, you know, when when their kids signed up for this, Right, they like, didn't understand all the bu- bureaucratic yeah. aspects of all this that you're talking about, and when you and when you start to look at all of this adding up, billions of dollars spent with very little oversight. Yep. Um, you have uh, these folks who don't have the equipment that they need, which is something that was brought up by Abbott's critics on the left and the right. Right, you had Alan West saying a version of that, Beto O'Rourke saying a version of that, and then you pile on top of that that because of the governor's actions, it's starting to look more like a war zone down there and actually having deaths start to pile up. More families have to deal with the reality of what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and now, now, and, and, and throwing it back on the Biden administration here too. So, so as for level, you know, title 42 gets lifted and there is a surge as the administration has said that they expect there's going to be a lot more people coming across the border. Right. So that's just going to add to the potential of more incidences. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, more people at the border trying to get across with, you know, like, you know, again, the Texas, you know, between the National Guard and the DPS officers, they've mm-hmm. closed down some sectors. And it was funny, I had this conversation with James White, uh, again, the, the state rep, and mm-hmm. we were talking about the idea that, like, as some of these routes get shut down in the the 
state troopers and the, uh, uh, the, the, the Texas military department do shut down some of these sectors. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like the, the cartels on the other side are going to say, Oh, I guess we can't come across anymore. We're just going to give up. It's yeah, like, it's no, they still have millions and millions of dollars in shipments of all kinds of stuff that they're trying to get across. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just only going to make it more intense down there. Right. You know, you got more people, you know, more stress on the cartels to, to make their money. And you have more of our like men and women like on the border in harm's way. So more trouble's coming. And like, and, and there's nothing that the legislature can do because they're not in session, right? It's not like somebody can pass a law that says anybody who dies during Operation Lone Star gets the same benefits as like a young man called or a young woman called up, you know, for active duty by mm-hmm. the federal government. It's like it just should be the same. <laughs> it's like I don't have too many biases in the world, but that just seems obvious, right? <laughs> if you yeah. if you're gonna put your life on the line for the country, and if you do it on the state border and you die, we should take care of you. It's like, yeah. we should take care of your family, right? Mm-hmm. All of this from uh, the Abbott administration just doesn't seem that well thought out. And, you know, it, it's it's an indication, uh, like you said, that came out of your conversation with, with Chairman White. The fact is that we haven't seen this kind of an escalation of state military on the border with uh, with Mexico I guess ever, right? I mean, we've had exactly. the we've had we've had deployments on the border before, but this is ramped up in a way that is brand new. And so, when you put that much stress on the system, things are going to break. Now, in Washington, uh, the Homeland Security Department uh, Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas was testifying about Title Forty Two going going away, and what Republicans were blasting him with is part of what you said, which is okay. Even the Biden administration expects thousands more immigrants to be coming across the border. Chip Roy from Central Texas was just hammering on Mayorkas. You know how these hearings go. A witness is sitting in front of them, and it sounds a lot more like the members of the committee giving a speech than actually trying to get any answers from the person who's sitting in front of them. Mr. Secretary, do you know what this is? This is a mobile morgue a body trailer needed by counties in South Texas overwhelmed by dead migrants. That particular trailer is filled with these bodies, 27 bodies that were stored in this mobile morgue in South Texas with dead bodies of migrants. Dead bodies like this one found on a ranch just three weeks ago in South Texas, a dead migrant. Somehow that's compassion. How about the dead bodies found by migrants? Compassion. How about the ranchers? who had to walk out of their door, and this is what they faced. Gentlemen with rocks threatening a rancher in South Texas, only able to be saved when they were able to bring their dogs out to scare the people away in order to save themselves. Or the fact that you've got houses being attacked, you've got livestock dead on the side because we've got ranches wide open. How about the little girl here with a brand on her arm? A little girl with a brand on her arm because of your policies. A little girl here in the desert found by ranchers trying to save their life. And how about the lost voices for people dying from fentanyl? What that leaves out is that the folks who are coming into the United States are coming from places where conditions are even worse than what he's talking about on the border. Immigration 101. Why does anybody move from one place to another, Jeremy? It's because they think that where they're moving to, they'll have a better life 
than where they are, right? If yep. you live in Texas and there's a job offer in Pennsylvania or California and it's double what you make in Texas, you move there, right? And you incur some cost and, you know, it's it can be a difficult journey sometimes, not as difficult as coming from the Northern Triangle countries through Mexico up into Texas. It's not as difficult as that. And it's not deadly like that. And you're not having to fight drug cartels to get through to a better life like that. But bad things are happening. Now, if we want to unwind all of the COVID restrictions all across the United States, there is some hypocrisy in saying that we're not going to get rid of the one that the and the only one that these folks don't want to get rid of is the one about the border. If we're going to get rid of every other COVID restriction. Then I think fair-minded folks might say, you know what? There's time for, uh, there's time right now. And it is time for a real conversation about immigration reform, figuring out how to deal with all these folks who are coming in seeking asylum from the kind of, from the places I'm talking about and how we deal with that rather than just saying the border is shut down because the Biden administration is not for that president Trump. He would have kept it in place, but guess what? He lost. So now we're going to move forward in a different direction. Um, and Republicans have not been willing to come to the table. Some have, but fewer and fewer over the years come to the table about a real immigration reform package of legislation. The last time that a prominent Republican was in favor of that was going back to 2006, 2007, when George W. Bush, the governor of Texas, President of the United States, when he would say family values don't end at the Rio Grande, that we do benefit from immigration and we need to have a comprehensive look at this, which has not been reformed since Reagan in the 80s, right? They have not had a real whack at this since then. And people will say to me, Scott, what is it about illegal you don't understand? What is it about illegal immigration that you don't get? <laughs> the How many times have I had to hear that, Jeremy? The realities of immigration and what is going on on our border, it's nothing like what was happening you know, in the 1980s. Things are different. And so we need a law that would be in you know, concert with the realities that we have now. But nobody seems willing to have that conversation. Yeah, well, and and for good reason in some ways, right? Politically, you know, look at the, you know, the backlash George W. Bush got you know, after he tried to dive into that while he was president, his approval right. ratings tanked with both mm -hmm. Democrats and Republicans. And then remember the gang of eight, you know, one of the many gangs of eight, <laughs> you know, when Marco Rubio, <laughs> you know, tried to work with the Democrats yeah. to get an immigration reform through a comprehensive plan. Uh, he got branded by the right as being for open borders. He's for amnesty. Laura, yeah, yeah, Laura Ingram just savagely attacked him day after day on her program. I remember watching them every single time. And like, and it was just like, you know, there was no reward for him ultimately in the end for trying to put his neck out and trying to fix the system honestly. And so basically like to get this, to, to deal with all the legal immigration issues. And again, this isn't necessarily just a lefty issue, right? You know, on the right side, right. the home builders of Texas would love to have a conversation with y'all about how we can have legal work status for people to come over and help them out. They can't keep up with the construction needs of Texas for housing. 
Why right. are rents going up? Why are prices going up? Because the supply isn't there because we don't have enough people building homes. And mm-hmm. a bar- big part of that is we don't have the workers to do it. And we used to be able to rely on the work visa programs to do it. But the limitations on that right now, like they haven't been updated. Like you said, mm-hmm. we have not updated you know, what we want out of immigration in the new era. The new era is like you think of all those those you know software jobs and all the like you know computer jobs that weren't around in the 1980s when we were kind of crafting some of these laws. Right. It's like the need right now for you know programmers is like totally different now. And mm-hmm. like who gets a share of the visas? You know, and it's like how many visas should there be? You know, those questions is nobody in Congress wants to talk about it. No. <laughs> it's like well, what and, are right. we supposed to do? Among Republicans, if Ronald Reagan today signed the amnesty bill that he signed back then, he couldn't win another primary. He'd be done correct. in politics, yeah, right? Be I totally agree with that. Because it is the issue that for the past at least 15 years or so has inflamed the GOP base the most. And when you I mean, when you look at all the money we were talking about that Texas is spending on border security, I'm putting that in I'm doing air quotes, Jeremy. Verify for the audience that I'm doing air quotes. When I say border security, um, you know who knows what they're really doing with it. There's very little accountability, and we see all these troops down there, and there's bad consequences like we've been talking about. But when you ask Republican primary voters the question, is Texas spending too little, just the right amount, or too much on border security, from the GOP, it always comes back that they're not spending enough yeah. on it. It just um, doesn't matter what we, that dollar figure is. It's never enough. You're right. Why don't they spend a quadrillion dollars on it? Yeah, a, a, <laughs> just, an actual just start making jillion. up numbers. You know, you know if you know, should the for, should the state of Texas send one gajillion zillion dollars? You know, and like, and somebody would say, yeah, sure. That would help. they would say, double it, and <laughs> yeah. we'll go from there. We mentioned um, Chip Roy, and I get Jeremy because I have voted in Republican primaries. I get every mail piece from folks running as Trumpy Republicans from all over the country, not just here in Texas. I get, uh, and not just email, actual mail in my mailbox. Oh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I could I could stack up these things in my house. And at some point, it, like it would pay, take two weeks because I get three or four of them every day. I get them from um, Mo Brooks, who's running for the Senate in uh, Alabama. I get them from... Um, Madison Cawthorn. I get Marjorie Taylor Greene's mail pieces. They're all looking for $5, $10, something like that. You know, send us your money. Um, if I stacked them up over like a two or three week period, my house would start to look like one of those houses where the person probably owns 12 cats. <laughs> so <clears throat> nothing wrong with cats. I love cats, but 12 is a lot. Um, but I also get our Texas candidates. And I don't know, can you see this on my iPad? It's um, Chip Roy. I tweeted out this picture of this mail piece that I got. Chip Roy, who of course is from Texas, uh, sending out a mail piece with the face of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the front. And it's got her quote, which I believe she said this in San Antonio, uh, if we flip Texas, we flip the country. Right? She was down there for the Greg Kassar event. Yep. Under the quote from AOC, Roy's campaign says, quote, will you help keep this communist witch and her radical agenda out of Texas? So the reactions to this, online at least, are people saying, wow, how could he sink any lower? 
um, that he's terrible for using this sort of, um, you know, invective. People calling it sexist. Obviously, he he couldn't say that if it was a man, he couldn't say that the person was a witch. What would they say? I guess he would say that he was a warlock, right? But I don't know that that would read the same on a male piece. <laughs> and as silly as it is, what it reminded me of. So I'm not even really going to talk about that. What it what it reminded me of is was it in 2010 or 2012 when Republican candidate Christine O'Donnell was talking about uh, being not a witch that, that she had to run. Yep. She had to run. She had to run a television ad that started with her saying, I'm not a witch. I'm just like you. Now she lost that uh, race for the Senate. And as you and I were talking about it earlier during the pre-show, it, the conversation that you and I had reminded me that in this day and age and in this specific election cycle, it should be a good year for Republicans, right? You've got a Republican um, backlash growing to the Biden administration. This is the kind of stuff we're hearing about border security and all that. You've got a tough economy. You've got inflation. Uh, like a lot of young people have never seen inflation like this, right? I mean, this is this is tough. Now, the jobs market is okay, but what happens when the economy heats up too fast, you get inflation, and so now we see that the Fed may have to make some moves to increase interest rates and all of that. It's the kind of economic turmoil that I would think, Jeremy, that folks like Chip Roy and most Republican candidates would revel in this environment, right? But because you should see a big backlash to the Democrats, that, that Republicans should do well everywhere, just about yep. everywhere, state level races, congressional races, Senate races, etc. But the deal with Christine O'Donnell, when she was saying that she was not a witch, it was because she had been on the Bill Maher show when she was younger. And I guess that was uh, his ABC show, yep. uh, which was politically incorrect. That's the one that Jimmy Kimmel would eventually take that time slot. If Bill mm -hmm. Maher doesn't get pushed off the air uh, for some controversial statements, Jimmy Kimmel never gets his show, right? Now, you want to know who's directly responsible for that. This is this is the Texas link to all that. So Bill Maher had the show called Politically Incorrect. Yep. And the comments that he made that got him fired from ABC had to do with 9-11. Yep. He had said he agreed he had agreed with one of his guests that the terrorists who flew planes into the buildings on 9-11 were not, quote, cowardly. Now, he wasn't saying they were heroes either. He was just saying that they're not cowards. These are people who are at war, and it was sort of a nuanced discussion. But do you know who led the boycott effort against Bill Maher's show? Do you want to guess? So, uh, it, it's, uh, as the story is retold, it's often said that it was a disc jockey from Houston. It wasn't really a DJ. It was a talk show host from Houston. His name is Dan Patrick. Ah, there you go. KSEV, before he was a state senator before he was the lieutenant governor. So they clashed years ago. So this candidate, Christine O'Donnell, she had said something about dabbling in witchcraft on that show. Then that came up in her campaign when she ran for the Senate. She had to do this commercial where she said that, um, that she wasn't a witch. And of course, if you think about that election cycle, it was around the same time that you had a couple of other Republican candidates who were saying things like, um, you know, if it's a legitimate rape, then the woman's body has a way to shut that down. That was one of the Republican candidates running in the Midwest. And then you had another Republican candidate say this, 
running for the Senate. Quote, I struggled with it myself for a long time, but I came to realize life is a gift from God. And I think even when life begins in that horrible situation of rape, that it is something that God intended to happen. So I'm bringing all this up to say this. We have Republicans right now who are, in my estimation, overreaching on a lot of culture war issues in the same way that some of these candidates back in 2010 were doing. They were, you know, weighing in on these things and saying things that were really offensive, um, inartful at best, just obscene at worst, right? You know, as far as who's listening to it. And you've got the Madison Cawthorns running around. You've got the Marjorie Taylor Greens running around saying just over the top things all the time. And Republicans writ large talking about critical race theory. Um, anti-transgender legislation, uh, you know, attacks on Disney, attacks on corporate America, uh, one culture, you know, what's going on in schools, trying to ban books in schools, talking about pornography and sex and getting into all of these very sensitive topics day to day to day. And of course, we have uh, the six-week abortion ban in Texas, and that's being discussed as well. There's a lot of opportunities for Republicans to mess this up when, when they have Jeremy, an environment that should be pretty good for them to win. Anyway, what happened to the old, I guess this is my question. What happened to the old axiom that it's the economy, stupid, go with that. Because if Republicans would just focus on that, it should be a route. Republicans, uh, you know, they should, if they do that, they should just demolish Democrats this year. Well, and, and that's what's so different. There's, there is no cooler head in the party that leads it right now. Like in a, in a different era, maybe it'd be a, a guy like Donald Trump who would, mm-hmm. you know, tell everybody, hey, let's just like, you know, we're winning this thing. <laughs> let's not do anything stupid here. Let's just like play it safe, stick to the bread and butter issues and like get our victory here in November. But there's a long time between now and November. Lots of things can go wrong. You know, right. it's like John McCain was certain to be the next president of the United States and still he wasn't, you know, you know, Mitt Romney was leading in the polls until he wasn't, you know, it's just like things happen, you know, in a campaign, surprise, surprise. And people, you know, once, you know, it gets really real, that's when people start making mistakes. That's when mm-hmm. like people say something dumb, you know, in a debate somewhere, you know, it's like, we know that in Texas, you know, Clayton Williams versus Ann Richards, you know, Clayton Williams was going to win that race if mm-hmm. not for his actions, you know, over several weeks. Everybody always points to his campfire right. comments about, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, women should sit back and enjoy rape. And but that it, was a rape comment as well. Exactly. What are but men going to learn? You can't really talk about rape. Exactly. At some point, if you're going to talk than about to say, rape, other than to say it's terrible, yeah. other than to say it's terrible, what are men doing weighing in on that like that? Yeah, it's a, it's it's it, we've just seen it over and over again. It's like given a chance, like like both parties do this. Democrats have had this problem too. It's like you you think you're going for a win and you just push too far. You know, mm-hmm. it's like in this case, like Republicans think they've hit the right note for voters, and mm-hmm. the question is like where is too far? I'm not sure where that is. But I think the Republicans will find out for us, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, the Democrats once did in the Republicans. It's like this country has a way of like swinging back and forth with mm-hmm. both parties making the same mistake the other one just did. <laughs> and so I totally suspect that in this case, like, you know, just like the Democrats went too far with their agenda, thus pushing a, a pushback. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the same thing will happen for the Republicans at some point as well. So. 
You know, and maybe one thing that's different is that when, because of this sort of ping-ponging back and forth between Republicans being in charge, Democrats being in charge, if you think about when Trump came in after 2016 and he had a united Republican government in D.C., what was the big thing that they got done? Was their tax bill, yeah. right? Do people even remember that? No. You know, the, I mean, it's <laughs> right. It's just sort of just so in the rear view. Now, there are some wealthy people who remember what it did for them, right? Yes. Um, but I think you know, voters, in a large sense, don't really, um, and they were punished because I, not because of the big thing that they did, but because of the way Trump was perceived in office. Uh, you know, they had a midterm that was not good for them. You know, that that next in that next election, in 2018, and we saw that here in Texas too, right, where Democrats were making yep. up a lot of ground in 2018. But go back to 20, uh, go back to t- uh, 2010, after 2008. You had a unified Democratic government in Washington. Now, they had a slim majority in the Senate, but what did they do? They passed the Affordable Care Act, which people do know about that, right? I mean, and even if they don't credit the ACA for it, how many young people are still on their parents' insurance now when they couldn't have been before? Now you have a whole generation for which that's just the reality that you get yeah. to stay on until you're what, yeah. There's this assumption you get to it, stay on your parents' health care until you're 26 now. Until you're almost right? 30. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, so 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 it was not the case before that that yeah. you know that, well, that that was true. And, it, and you know all the stuff about pre-existing conditions and all these other things. But what happened? They passed that, and then guess what? They got punished in the next election, and the Republicans had an amazing year for their side in 2010. And I wonder if in this environment where it should be just you know, ping pong right back to the Republicans in, in you know this November election, if they are not just giving themselves one chance after another to mess it up. I'm not saying that they that that's going to happen, but why risk it? Yeah, and I'd be derelict in my self-promotion, self-promotional duties uh, to not bring up the fact that as Chip Roy is saying, we need to keep AOC out of Texas, mm-hmm. not to remind everybody about the story I wrote a year ago in which I pointed out that AOC has been in and around Texas since 2005. <laughs> when she was like a young woman, she was already you know involved with the National Hispanic Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the National Hispanic Institute you know, program down in, uh, in Central Texas. And so she's been in and out of Texas you know, since 2005. So it's not like, you know, if Chip Roy wants to stop from coming to Texas, he's a little late. <laughs> he should have started like 10 years ago. <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned Ann Richards versus Clayton Williams and all of his just gaffes that helped add up to a, a Richards victory. And, and of course, that's not to take anything away from Governor Richards either. She was, yeah, she know, was very popular. popular, popular in her own right. And sort of, um, in some ways, in that in that part of history, things were moving in the Republican direction already, right? I mean, we think about um, the last Democrat to be elected statewide in Texas would have been what Bob Bullock in nineteen ninety four, yeah. right? So, so there, there still was a little bit of back and forth at that point, early nineties into the mid nineties, that it wasn't quite solidly Republican statewide just yet, right? That that there was a little give and take, and it wasn't a sure thing. Right, that that one side was going to win or the other. Both sides really had to compete for it, right? And so gaffes like that could cost you. Ann Richards' daughter, Cecile Richards, is sort of um, a progressive rock star in her own right, right? Uh, someone who has led uh, Planned Parenthood nationally and done a few other things. 
And I thought this was interesting, Jeremy. I've never seen this before, where a candidate for governor announces that they have a, quote, national finance chair. Beto O'Rourke is now looking to Cecile Richards as his national finance chair. Here was uh, Richards speaking back in 2012 at the Democratic National Convention. And you tell me if the kind of battles that she's talking about back then, tell me if it doesn't sound exactly like the kind of fights that we're having right now. On day one, they came after women's health and they haven't let up since, right? So first, they voted to end cancer screenings and well women visits for 5 million women. They voted to end funding for birth control at Planned Parenthood. And for good measure, they even tried to redefine rape. And now, Mitt Romney is campaigning to get rid of Planned Parenthood and overturn Roe versus Wade. And we won't let him. Interesting, Jeremy. I mean, Roe versus Wade, it's possible it could be overturned as soon as this summer. Uh, Republicans have, in state after state, especially in Texas, uh, you know, made it clear that that's a, that's a mission. Um, they work toward that, and we'll see what happens at the Supreme Court. But have you seen this before where um, a governor uh, campaign, a gubernatorial campaign, has a national finance chair? That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. It's like it feels like a presidential race, right? Mm -hmm. Or, right. you know, like, it, like I don't even know if he had a national fundraising person for his Senate campaign. So uh, I'm not sure if that was even a role that they could have imagined mm -hmm. actually existed in the world. But uh, but if he's going to beat Governor Greg Abbott, uh, mm -hmm. who himself has a pretty big financial yes. you know, world outside of Texas, right. Beto's better bring some heat from other states. He's going to need money from elsewhere. He can't do it just on Texas donations. Uh, you know, those small dollar donations, those thirty dollar donations. He always he's always bragging about. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's going to need to tap in some uh, some much heavier money from California, New York, and places beyond. And certainly, Cecile Richards can you know help you know, on that front as well. Mm -hmm. She's definitely without a question, a progressive right. Democrat mm -hmm. uh, that can, you know, she, again, to, to lead parent Planned Parenthood, you know, like, right. you know, she knows, you know, how to find, you know, fundraising opportunities and she'll certainly be able to do that for him. Yeah. An incredible uh, fundraising network, I'm sure. And look, you know, a lot gets tossed around and talked about with, you know, but guess what? Uh, the uh, Democrats, they go and raise money from the Hollywood liberals but as you have reported before, it wasn't. Uh, it, it, it wasn't. Um, uh, it hasn't. It's not that it's never happened that Republicans were fundraising from Texas in California. Yeah, Abbott himself just in January was you know raising money in in California. So every time he says "Don't California my Texas," it does not apply to campaign donations. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, have you kept up with all this stuff in Houston about the Crime Stoppers um, controversy? There yeah, were, the last couple of weeks have been pretty intense. It, there were all these investigations that came out all at once, and yep. there's so much to it. And I would encourage people to go to HoustonChronicle.com and read the investigations that are there. Uh, one of the journalists who worked on this is St. John Bernard Smith, Barnard Smith. He'll ding me for saying his name wrong. He he says his name's Sinjin, which I'm not sure how he gets to that. But anyway, Sinjin Barnard Smith was featured on ABC 13 in Houston talking about these accusations that basically Crime Stoppers has become a political organization that they're being funded by Republicans 
so that they will attack Democrats there in Harris County. One of the things in the course of my reporting and looking at this was uh, this allegation that some had raised um, that this was uh, financially driven. And one of the things I was just curious about was how Crime Stoppers gets some of its funds. Houston Chronicle public safety reporter Sinjin Barnett-Smith details in his months-long research report that funding to Crime Stoppers from a routine $50 judge-ordered probation condition decreased dramatically. The Chronicle found in 2017, Crime Stoppers received $630,000 from the initiative. In 2020, they received $85,000. One of the judges I talked to said that they made the decision to direct that money to smaller organizations, to women's shelters, places that they felt were not as well known as Crime Stoppers. As bond conversations have been a hot button issue in our area, many judges, particularly Democratic, have been criticized. The Chronicle's findings point to a drop in funding for Crime Stoppers when new Democratic judges across Harris County took on their roles. The Chronicle's article points out that the director of victim services at the Houston chapter of Crime Stoppers is a part of a show on another network that talks about the bond issues in our area judges and the upcoming election. They disputed any contention that this um, had any sort of partisan uh, uh, motive, right? Their argument was we, we, um, there are people getting out on bond who are then going on to commit additional crimes. And, and, and this is a five alarm fire. And um, that's what we're focusing on. That was their argument. Jeremy, there's a lot to this. So the New York Times also reported uh, at the same time as the Chronicle investigations were coming out that the governor's office, that Abbott's office, had not necessarily secretly given money to Crime Stoppers, but it certainly wasn't publicized. They had to do a Freedom of Information Act request to figure out that they had, that, you know, the governor's office had given at least about six million dollars to Crime Stoppers uh, in a in fashion that was not publicized, and it was around the same time. That Republican money, start, or you know, money directed by Republicans, is flowing into Crime Stoppers. That suddenly Crime Stoppers is now attacking these Republican judges. Now you heard in the report, excuse me, these Democratic judges, and you heard in that report that uh, a different TV station is featuring Crime Stoppers all the time to talk about the uh, bond issues. Well, just this morning, um, this was sent out uh, actually yeah, well, yesterday uh, from the from the chairman of the Democratic Party in Harris County, the Democratic Party there sent a letter to Fox 26 KRIV television in Houston, which features Crime Stoppers all the time. And basically they were saying that they should look for other sources as well to, you know, have a more balanced approach to their coverage. There's a lot to this. So you have the, uh, the bond issue in Houston, which has just blown up big, right? This is, this is a controversy every day. In Houston, there's always some headline about it in the Chronicle or, you know, on the television stations there. Uh, you have the media's role in promoting Crime Stoppers. I'm old enough to remember when Crime Stoppers basically was just, you know, the organization that said, call us at the phone number 222 tips. And, you know, you might get $5,000 if you can give us any information that might lead to the arrest of somebody in connection with whatever crime they were featuring. And that at least seemed to be some more, some some sort of a uh, a wholesome um, goal, 
right? But with a lot of organizations, and well, and Crime Stoppers disagrees with all this reporting, by the way. They say this is just a hit job on them, which is what I've seen on social media from the Crime Stoppers folks. Um, but there are some real questions here about how this money is being spent, about how the money that's collected from these uh, criminal cases is spent and the donations are spent, money from the governor's office is spent. At some point, it starts to look like a grift. And let me bring it back into something I'm more comfortable talking about, just because it's right in my wheelhouse. Um, Texas Right to Life is a group that also started in Houston and was well-respected in conservative circles among Republicans as a group that you could count on to tell you who were the real, quote, pro-life legislators in Austin. And at some point, that started to become controversial within the Republican Party because of the kind of money that was flowing into Texas Right to Life and the kind of politicians they were attacking, that this group would attack Republicans who had, by any measure, very anti-abortion stances in the legislature, right? The, the people who would um, you know, vote for every abortion restriction, everything that was in front of them. Uh, but it seemed to a lot of folks that Texas Right to Life was playing a different sort of political game within Republican primaries. With this deal with Crime Stoppers, it seems to a lot of folks that, wow, look, Jeremy, they are suddenly attacking all these Democratic judges when they're getting Republican money. And that just seems straight up political to folks. Yeah, when you, and certainly a group with crime shoppers, like, you know, again, I just remember in San Antonio, you'd see the, the segments on the news, you know, uh, they, they'd usually have like, you know, student actors kind of filling in to like almost put on a performance of like the crime that happened. It was kind of a oh, yeah. must see TV during the local news, you know, and then like, <laughs> yeah. and again, it was right. like, you know, you put, you know, call tips, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in you know, what happened on this thing. And so, and, and so it has like a mom and apple pie type of thing, but like right. as the Houston Chronicle investigation has shown, like, like the different crime stopper programs throughout the state, just do different things with the money. You know, there are mm. probably some that just, you know, are by the book on just kind of how they handle it. And then others pay their, their directors more money. They have bigger office spaces. They have mm -hmm. more parties, you know, and, you know, other things that aren't necessarily related to, you know, solving crime or helping the police solve crime. So, yeah, I'd really encourage people to kind of look at the Houston Chronicle work on this, on the investigative, you know, team. There's so much to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. they've done a lot of good work on that, just kind of pointing out, just kind of, how this program started and just kind of what it's doing now in different parts of the state. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, crime stoppers leadership, uh, they, uh, had a few things to say at Harry Harris County's commissioner's court, uh, about this, that, you know, I mean, it's, if you want, if you want to really dig into some drama, this is one that you can do, like read all of those, <laughs> read all of those stories and all of the nuance, all the arguments about it. It is pretty fascinating stuff. Let me wrap up here, uh, with something that, was just remarkable this week. And, and like I say, so many things happened this week. It'd be easy to forget about different things that had happened. So let me, let me highlight this here at the end. Positive, Jeremy, positive news. You know oh, what I good. do here? That's what we need. You, you know what I do here is, you know, just good natured stuff, right? <laughs> I, I had somebody saying, why are you so, you know, critical of everybody all the time? I said, I'm very good natured. What are you talking about? Um, one of the cases we've been following closely is the case of Melissa Lucio, who's the mother of 14 uh, from the Valley, who was set to be executed in Texas on Wednesday. And it didn't happen. Um, her execution was delayed 
by the Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest criminal court in Texas. And uh, Texas, like uh, unlike a bunch of other places, has a bifurcated system where the people uh, people who live in Texas don't even know this. The, the Texas Supreme Court is the highest civil court. So lawsuits go there, right? And criminal cases go up to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. And that court said that the execution should be delayed and that the original trial court down in Brownsville in Cameron County should reopen the case and look at new evidence because so many questions have been raised. We talked about the hearings that were held on this case where the district attorney in Brownsville had said uh, that, look, it was probably the case that the uh, execution might be delayed because there were so many outstanding appeals in the case. But this result goes a little further than that and says that the trial court, basically she gets a new trial. Well, some amazing audio here. Uh, Jeff Leach is uh, a chairman in the Texas House from Collin County, and he's been sort of leading the charge on this. He's one of the criminal justice reformers on the Republican side, and he called Melissa Lucio, who's in prison on women's death row in Texas, to let her know, and he called her two days before she was set to be executed. He called her to say that that was not going to happen. Hello? Melissa. Yes. Hey, this is Jeff Leach. Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Have you heard the news? No, what? You haven't heard the news yet? No, what happened? The Court of Criminal Appeals issued a stay of your execution for Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, you can hear how excited she is, but uh, yeah. uh, she's clearly overwhelmed. And look, she's been in the justice system now since 2007. So when yeah. this happened, um, and so has been in court, has been in prison on death row for all this time. She wasn't when he said that to her, she wasn't even really sure what was happening. <laughs> well, well, it means um, it means you're going to wake up on Thursday morning, um, and um, you're not you're not making the trip to Huntsville on Wednesday, and the um, the order was very strong in that you're gonna. It appears that you're going to get a new trial at the very least. They. We will find out what happens with this, Jeremy. Um, it is often standard operating procedure that an execution will be delayed, and that, that's not always the case. But a lot of times people don't really start paying attention to these uh, death penalty cases until the very end, when a lot of advocates will come together and start to say there are all these questions about uh, what has happened in this case. And a lot of times those advocates, they'd probably be frustrated with me for saying that because they'll say, well, we've been bringing it up all along. Well, suddenly it's in the news, right? Because the execution date is approaching. Time is running out. The drama starts to run high. Uh, and on this, I think it was a little different or has been different because you have such a broad bipartisan coalition that came together uh, yeah. to ask questions about this specific case. I'm trying to remember when that ever happened and the uh, in that fashion. And the hearing that was held on this in the Texas House a few weeks ago 
was really remarkable. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it where, I, where there were Republicans and Democrats alike peppering the prosecutor, the district attorney with questions about the case, asking them uh, what the prosecutor might do about trying to delay this execution. The prosecutor had pushed back and said, look, for right now, I'm not going to step in unilaterally and block this, which the prosecutor can do. Basically, he can ask the court to withdraw the death warrant, which is my understanding, if, if the prosecutor asks for that, the court just basically always does it. So, so he can do that. Uh, but the governor could have stepped in, but that's a last minute thing as well. Uh, but if the prosecutor had asked for the death warrant to be withdrawn, uh, or the governor had stepped in with a 30 day delay, that wouldn't have been, at least as far as the supporters of Lucio, that wouldn't have been as good a resolution or as good a development as they got from the Court of Criminal Appeals this week, which, which was to say, not only is the execution delayed, but the trial court's also going to go back and look at the facts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly is a big shift, right? You know, it's like, and we heard from the governor saying, like, you know, he, you know, he hadn't gotten the report yet to, to mm -hmm. decide what he was going to do, and so there was some kind of leeway as to what he was going to do. But this is certainly like probably the best solution to the end of this thing, right? To go back through again bipartisan support for people mm -hmm. to re-examine this case to see if, like, you know, there, there were obviously a lot of questionable circumstances involved in this. So. Yes. Lots of questions, and we'll continue to follow it as it uh, basically gets it gets a refresh now. It gets a restart with this yep. case. All right, that is enough show for this week. We appreciate you tuning in each week. You know how to make it really easy on yourself to have the show just show up on your phone without you doing anything. Hit the subscribe button. However you're listening right now, just hit that subscription button. You'll be good to go. It'll show up on your iPhone, on your Android, whatever you listen to the show on. Uh, you should give us the best rating that you can. We appreciate it. Five stars, nothing less. Also, subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you next time.